Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. verses 16, 17, 18, and 19, and ask the Lord to just speak something into our heart here this evening. Amen. The book of Proverbs 6 and 16, the scripture says, These things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And then in verse 17, 18, and 19 is a list of, of the things that God hates. I want to tell you this evening that when I read the word God and hate, or the Lord and hate in the same sentence, you have my undivided attention. I'm not just talking about something the Lord's uncomfortable with, something the Lord is displeased with. He would feel better down inside, more warm and fuzzy if we would adjust these areas of our lives. We're talking about things God hates. He said, a proud look, verse 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. And from that tonight, I just want to simply talk about things that God hates. Things that God hates. You may be seated. Why would God hate? Why would God hate things or the Lord hate? I think the answer to that question and our pursuit at least of the answer to that question, we must begin by realizing that humanity is the crowning glory of the Lord's creation. We are not like the spotted owl. We are not like anything else that we will ever see in life or another animal or mammal, we're unlike that. We are the crowning glory of God's creation. It was into mankind and mankind alone that he breathed the breath of life. And so that separates man from everything else. So he hates things and he hates certain things because when these certain things enter into the lives of his his creation, it changes our lives forever. And so this evening I, I want us, and, and I'll, I'll try to pause long enough if I can along the way, to remind us that we're going to be talking about a progression of things. Because I think it's important that we don't just see these as a few bullet points that Solomon makes and then moves on. But there is a defined progression And if we can grasp that progression, it will help us to always look at this passage of Scripture differently. 
God sees these things, and then with clear understanding, he realizes, as no one else can, uh, the damage that can be done by these types of sins in a person's life. And we were created and intended to love God and to serve God, to be worshipers of him. As a matter of fact, the scripture talks about that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. That's why we were created to be a voice uh, in the the angelic choir, so to speak, of God's creation. We are a voice in that choir. But when sin enters into our life, then God's plan and God's purpose for our lives gets corrupted and and, uh, the trajectory of everything that was in the intention or in the mind of God has now been askew. And so when that is uh, on the line, we must be very careful that we understand the Scripture. And so if we hope to be pleasing to God, then I must avoid the things that we're going to talk about here this evening. With that said, I want to begin to go through this list that has been laid out for us, and uh, we'll just take them one by one. The Bible first mentions a proud look. I think if we could boil it all down that at the root of all sin would be the issue of pride in some manner or another. The word pride literally means to exalt self, to be haughty or to be presumptuous. A proud look is the idea that in some way we are better than someone else when in truth we are not better than anyone. We are all equal. It was the attitude, I think this attitude that was so blatantly displayed by the Pharisee in Luke 18 and beginning with verse number 9. I'm, not, I'm just going to paraphrase this a little bit. Uh, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus to, to himself. There you go. <laughs> he was just praying to himself. And he said, I think, he said, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men. I am so thankful, Lord, that I am this. Can't you just hear his best stained glass voice as he preaches this and pr- prays this rather? I'm glad that I'm not like these other men extortioners and unjust, adulterers, or even this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all and on and on and on and on and on. He begins to talk about his own praises. And so with this, we should realize that pride is a very serious issue in the eyes of the Lord. And so to be sure, the proper response to pride and the remedy from Scripture is very simple. And I think if we're going to deal with issues in our life, that we must be proactive Whatever those issues must be. In other words, if, you, uh, if you're, if you're going to overcome a stingy spirit, does anybody here know how to overcome a stingy spirit? Give. Amen. <laughs> you, you just almost, almost whispered that, but it's still the truth. You just give. That's how you overcome a, a stingy spirit. You just, you, you just give. And you know what? Sometimes you have to do that in the moment. In the moment, there have been moments that I, that I, can I confess? Can I say what's on your mind? That we were going to give this and we felt, there was just that little mental struggle, milliseconds of a battle. And you know what, to win that battle, just go over to the right or the left, whichever side it is in your particular wallet. Just go to the deeper side. That's what, that's how you deal with the spirit of stinginess. You give. And, you know, we can use the word give monetarily, but, again, the word give goes much, much broader than that. And so when we feel stingy about our time, you know what you do to get over that? You give your time. You give of yourself and, and things of that nature. And so by the same token, 
The only way you can counter pride is with humility. You've got to come at it head on. You can't, uh, you can't play with that. You've got to be proactive. And so I'm going to give you two tools that will help you and help me this evening to gain humility in our life. One of them is spiritual and one of them is just natural. The spiritual way to overcome pride in our life is to confess our pride and repent of it. To confess it and then repent of it. And the natural way to get rid of our pride is just get over ourselves. Stop taking yourself so seriously. I heard someone say many years ago, we wouldn't worry nearly as much what people thought of us if we, if we realized how rarely they did. <laughs> and so we're, we're not on this grand scale. We're not nearly as big on the radar. Sometimes we may think we just need to get over ourselves. Paul said to the Philippian church, chapter 2, verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves, preferring our brother, preferring our brother. And so remember the words of James 4. James says, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And so we've got to deal with our pride. Amen. And I, I understand that some pride is right, a godly pride. There's some measures of pride that we need to take in our life. And I hope that we all grasp that, that pride out of control is what I'm talking about, pride that sets up us above anybody else. Uh, the second thing that is mentioned in Scripture is a lying tongue. The word tongue here comes from the Hebrew word loshon, and it means to speak evil or an evil speaker. The tongue, I'll promise you, is the most deadly and dangerous weapon in the world, the tongue. My, what, uh, what can be released in just a rumor, just somebody speaking something that's ill, evil, or untruthful. It doesn't have to be untruthful, amen, but just to speak things ill. And I say, Lord, help us to realize the scripture that teaches us the power of life and death is in the tongue. Perhaps the best instruction concerning the tongue comes again from the writer James. James 3 and 5. The Bible says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. He is talking about the tongue, that tongue that you possess. That tongue that I possess. And so we can't just attach this and associate this to someone else, hang this on the nail of someone else's life. I've got to realize that I've got to be very careful that I am honest in all of that I say, in all that I do. A lying tongue can hinder us from the blessings of the Lord. You know, when you, when you read Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 59... Verses 1 through 8, there's a, a storyline that is revealed there. Uh, Israel found themselves in a place of needing and desiring the blessings of God. They wanted the Lord to move in their midst. They needed the Lord to move in their midst. And they didn't understand how or why these blessings had been removed. And so Isaiah declared to them in the opening verses here, he said, you need to understand this. The blessing of God has not been removed from your life because the arm of God is short, or that God's ear is no longer able to hear. 
He said, it's not that that has caused the blessing of God to be lifted in your life, but it's because of the iniquity in your own life. That's why you've lost the blessing. God didn't all of a sudden become incapable of blessing, but it was the iniquity in your life. And so when we read the scripture, this particular passage of scripture, we find out the iniquity that Isaiah was referring to was uh, the exploitation of the poor. And the rulers uh, of that day were using their authority or abusing their authority to only make themselves richer. These people lifted their hands then, these that had exploited others, these that had abused others, now lifted their hands to worship God. But you see, those hands now in the eyes of God had blood on them because of the iniquity of their own heart. And God said, I'm not going to bless you. You're not going to treat others this way and then lift your hands in my presence and everything be all right. God could not answer their prayer and hid his face from them. The conflict was not something in general. The conflict was not just something vague or in a fog. It was something very, very specific. It was the conflict between truth and lie, between right and wrong. And so Isaiah compared the evil rulers in verse 4 to women that would be with child, but instead of, instead of giving birth to a child, they were giving birth to sin. He goes on to say in verses 5 and 6, he compared these people to snakes hatching their eggs and spiders weaving their webs. In other words, what Isaiah was saying to them is what they give birth to is only going to ultimately serve to destroy you. And your beautiful web of lies is not going to be sufficient to sustain you or protect you in the times of trouble. And so Isaiah came with a very unapologetic message to tell them this is why the hand of God has lifted from your life. I'm talking about the things that God hates. A progression. And we watch this progression as it enters into the life of an individual. And so God's dealing with Israel as a strong warning as to how he views the sins of the tongue. With the tongue, we can edify. With the tongue, we can lift up. And with the tongue, we can unify. But with that same tongue, we can divide and destroy and demean. It is a very powerful tool that we should never underestimate. Then the third thing that, Isaac, that Solomon talked about here, Proverbs records hands that shed innocent blood. This speaks of the blood of those who have done no wrong. And for no wrong of their own, they have died. A divine command given to us in Exodus, among nine others says, Thou shalt not kill. Those who break this commandment will find that even if you escape man's law, even as somehow you get by with it in the eyes of man, you didn't get by with it in the eyes of God. Because God, the scripture says, is the avenger of the blood. And so God is going to is going to right that wrong. And so the shedding of innocent blood cries for vengeance and pulls down God's judgment upon those that have done so. Now I think in Scripture there is no more clear example of this than the life of, of Cain and Abel. Amen. That blood that cried out from the ground for vengeance, for justice, and God took care of that, didn't He? Amen. Because God despises hands that shed innocent blood. The fourth thing that, that Solomon writes about here is the heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. 
Now the Hebrew word for deviseth means this, something that is done in secrecy, something that is done in a stealth mode. To use a more modern phrase, it would be this, God would despise a heart that would devise a sneaky plan. Additionally, the scripture uses this phrase, wicked imaginations. Wicked imaginations are basically thoughts of iniquity or thoughts of immorality, thoughts of evil. And so the Lord said, I hate that. I hate that. That's strong language, isn't it? Strong language. Something that we should all realize is that there are evil thoughts that are within the heart of every man, woman, boy, or girl. I want us to kind of just take off our little robe of self-righteousness here for a moment and let's just be real. You find the worst criminal, the worst man or woman that history would record in this nation or any other. And before you judge them and look down your nose and point your finger, remember this, that the worst man or woman you can find is cut out of the same fabric that you and I are cut out of. Amen. Amen. Evil thoughts. Where did that start? It started somewhere in their heart. It started somewhere just as a thought. And so if we're not careful, evil that is bound up in the heart. I talked about it Sunday. The heart is is wicked, desperately wicked. You can't trust the heart. You can't go there. Amen. So we got to be very, very careful to, to understand and to realize that I have the same potential in me for that much evil as any man or woman walking the face of the earth. To think anything less than that would be foolish. To think anything less than that would be dangerous. That's why, that's why Paul said to the, to the church at Corinth that we need to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There are some things that we just don't dwell on at all. At all. I mean, you would deal with that. You, if if uh, a few Sundays ago, as a matter of fact, a few Sundays ago, it's been a few, several weeks ago now, our praise team was here early and they were practicing and, and uh, I think it was Justin that uh, forgot something, went back out the side door and when he walked out the side door, uh, he didn't even see what took place when he walked out of the side door. There happened to be a, a black snake there uh, on, the, on the little stoop and, and when the door opened, he came in the church or tried to come into the church and so the door, he would have come, he did get in a little way, <laughs> but, the door, but the door, the door caught him. And so, uh, and, and for whatever reason, they stopped singing and, uh, <laughs> and decided that that was something that probably needed to be dealt with. And so what I'm getting at is this, if you open the door and an act comes in, we probably can live with that. But when some things come in, you've got to deal with that. And so let me go back and say this, there are some thoughts that we have uh, that, that are probably innocent. They're just fleeting thoughts that just pass through. But when some things come into our mind, we need to deal with that right then, right there, right now. We've got to stop what we're doing. Nothing is more important than bringing this into captivity. You've got to get out of here now. Amen. We have a mandate to allow God's righteousness to arrest that. Arrest that in the name of Jesus. Here's why. I'm talking about a progression tonight. Here's why. When an evil individual begins to devise a plan and begins to work out evil acts, he gives complete control of his life over to Satan. When you begin to devise a plan 
and allow evil patterns to just form in your life, you are handing the keys of your life over to Satan. Amen. Over to Satan. That gives, that's what happens. We become, at that moment, and I know this is strong language, but at that moment we become repulsive to God. Repulsive to God. The Lord hates this. Amen. That takes us back to Matthew 5, 19 and the issues of the heart. The Bible says, For out of the heart, for out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Amen. And so I... I will for a moment go back to Sunday morning and I will tell you that we must guard our heart. Why? Because this is something God hates. Amen. The Lord said, I hate this. And so I've got to guard my heart. If I could just refer to something again from Sunday, I will say this. That some may have heard me preaching against things. And while that's true, I want to just change your perception if I will and can by the help of the Lord. Some only heard me preaching against a few things, but the bigger picture wasn't what I was preaching against. The bigger preacher is what I picture is what I was preaching for. Amen. For. Amen. I was preaching against unrighteousness, but I am preaching for righteousness at the same time. Because here's what I know. If we will reach for righteousness, if we will reach for righteousness, we will automatically serve a death blow to unrighteousness. And so what we need to hear is where the Lord's trying to take us and what the Lord's trying to put in our hands, not what the Lord's trying to take out of our hands. The Lord is trying to get us to let go of. He's trying to get us to receive something over on this side that it's much grand in a much grand way. We are admonished by the Apostle Paul as to what we should do with these types of thoughts. And I mentioned a moment ago, but here it is for, for your perusal. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And here it is. And bringing into captivity, amen, every thought to the obedience of Christ. I've got to cast down imaginations. I've got to, I've got to rebuke that out of my mind. Amen. I've got to get that out of my house. Right now, I got to get that out of the house of my heart. I got to get that out of my mind. I've got to bring that into captivity. And then he talks about number five feet that be swift in running to mischief. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. Or in other words, he says feet that are quick to get involved and spread evil. And so when the eyes and the tongue and the hands and the intellect are rushing towards sin, I'm talking about a progression. When the eyes, amen, a proud look. When the eyes and the tongue and the hands and the intellect are rushing towards sin, the feet have no vote but to follow. Amen. Feet that be swift to running to mischief. This speaks of feet that are moved quickly to carry out what's already been devised in the heart. Amen. Can we divide ourselves in our minds here for just a moment? There's been a meeting going on in the heart. And that meeting that's going on in the heart is trying to get some, th- some things across to the hands, get some things across to the mind, get some things across to the feet. Amen. So he said we've got to be careful that we don't allow our feet to get caught up into this that's already been devised in the heart. The feet have no choice because now so much of the body has been consumed. 
I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but if you, if you start falling out of a boat, or if I was to fall off of this platform, the more of me that falls over, in the end, my feet don't have a choice. Because the rest of me is going to pull my feet down with me. I'm not, I'm not trying to insult you tonight, but I'm telling you that we got to be very careful that we watch this progress. Here's what you see. More and more of that person becomes committed to sin. Because after a while, it's just not in your heart. After a while, it's in your thought. After a while, it's in your eyes. After a while, it's your ears. After a while, your hands. After a while, your feet are running after something. Amen. And so when that happens, sin controls more and more of the entire being. And ultimately, the things that God hates will consume us. And so we find ourselves doing things that we never dreamed we would do. Never dreamed we would do. I am a little reticent to talk very much about sometimes the men or the individuals that we meet that are incarcerated through our prison and jail ministry, but I'm going to tell you that all of them are not what you see on television. Now, I know that I am not standing here blindly today, but many of them would fall into the, to a category of being much like people in your own life and much like people that are in this very house here today who made wrong decisions, poor decisions. They never dreamed they would find themselves where they are tonight. I mean, I, I know there's another whole category of people. That's not what I'm talking about. But we find ourselves today doing things that we never thought. I never dreamed I would ever be here. I never envisioned myself. Maybe it just started at a party. Maybe it was just one drink. Maybe it was just one pill. And after a while, that got a hold of their life. And the next thing you know, they're standing before a judge. And the next thing you know, they're being shackled and carted off. Never dreamed. Maybe they were, maybe they were honor students in school. Maybe they had scholarships to college. I'm, I'm telling the truth here tonight. Amen. Maybe degrees behind, uh, initials behind their name. Very credentialed individuals that just got a hold of something that got a hold of them. I'm going to tell you that if it can happen to one person it, in this world, it can happen to anybody in this room. And we are foolish to think anything less than that. I'm not trying to stir fear in our heart. I'm trying to wake us up and realize there are some things that God hates. And he said, don't do that. Because when you do this, it leads to this. And when you give way to this, it opens the door for this. And now we're over here dealing with this. There is a progression that we must be very careful. At this point, it seems like that we're almost completely committed to sin. Author Irma Bombeck said, we live in a very strange society today. We live in a society where documentaries, we make documentaries of serial, serial killers. We make movie idols out of organized crime members. We have authors out of political crooks and role models out of criminals who beat the system. I don't know, she went on to say, when crime went from being news to entertainment, but somehow it has successfully made the transition. I tell us tonight that in the fear of the Lord, we need to realize there's some things the Lord said, I hate that, I hate that, I hate that. Number six he talks about a false witness that speaketh lies. This phrase actually encompasses two different types of sins of the tongue. 
making, number one, making fictitious or completely false statements. You know, there are some people that just lie. There is absolutely no truth to it whatsoever. They just make up things. Amen. Just absolutely make up things. The second kind of thing are those that take the truth and they alter it a little bit. In some way, they change in the end the meaning altogether. They had a little bit of truth and they twisted and contorted, twisted and contorted, and finally it bears no resemblance. The first one spins or makes up. The other one paints and kind of recolors. Some people simply have a gift of recreating a story just to make it sound like something they want it to. While it has elements of truth to it, they craft it in such a fashion as to downplay the big picture. Have you ever met those? Let me say it again. People have the ability to take a story and craft it in such a way until it just completely downplays the real truth of the matter. An amateur... Researcher discovered that his great uncle, that he had a great uncle by the name of Remus Starr. Now, Remus Starr was a fellow that really had a lot of shortcomings when it came to character. He was hanged for horse stealing and train robbery in the state of Montana in the year 1889. The only known photograph that this researcher could find of his uncle was the actual picture of him being hanged while he stood on the gallows. He turned the picture over, and on the back of the picture, this is what was read. Remus Starr, horse thief, sent to Montana Territorial Prison, 1885, escaped, 1887. He robbed the Montana Flyer Railway six times. He was caught by the Pinkerton detectives, convicted and hanged, in 1889. Just leave that there if you will. Not wanting his great uncle to sound so bad, the researcher decided that he would just take this story and reword it. And so he started with a picture. He took the picture of Uncle Remus and he cropped it down to the only thing you could see was not the gallows but just a headshot of old Uncle Remus. And then he added the following statement to summarize his life. He said, Uncle Remus Starr was a famous cowboy in the Montana Territory. His business empire grew to include the acquisition of valuable equestrian assets and and imitate dealings and intimate dealings with the Montana Railroad. Beginning in 1885, he devoted several years of his life to service at a government facility. <laughs> Finally taking leave to resume his dealings with the railroad. In 1887, he was a key player in a vital investigation ran by the renowned Pinkerton Detective Agency. In 1889, Uncle Remus passed away during an important civic function held in his honor when the platform upon which he was standing suddenly collapsed. (laughs) We got two different visions of old Uncle Remus, don't we? When I read that, I feel like I have no gift of gab at all, no imagination at all. And so I tell you that altering something to change its meaning entirely, the Lord said, I hate that. I hate that. I find it interesting to note that two of the seven things that are listed here in Solomon, in Solomon's writing, 
deal with the tongue. Deal with the tongue. You know, it's, it's wrong if we say something. It's not right if we say something wrong, even if we say it in Jesus' name. Because we try to do whatever we want to do, say whatever we want to say, and then kind of Christianize it right there at the end. Bless their heart. We need to pray for them. Amen. We must never forget that the tongue was designed to give praise and adoration to the Lord. That's why he gave us a voice. Amen. He gave us a voice. And so when we take that same vessel and use it to falsely accuse or lie about someone else, then we have perverted the purpose of which God has given us this gift. And so this use of the tongue will hinder our our pure expression of our worship. And so here's again, I'm going to James, James 3. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings. He said, My brethren, these things ought not to be, ought not to be, ought not so be to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same time? At the, does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet and water? Sweet water or bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. We can't be cussing on Tuesday and worshiping on Wednesday. It just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. We can't be abusive in our language to others around us, whether that's our companions or our children or our friends or our coworkers or our employees or our employers, whatever it may be. We can't just say whatever's on our mind. We can't give somebody a piece of our mind. We can't just blurt out whatever we want to blurt out and then think that God somehow has amnesia when we walk in here and we lift our hands and God should bless us. Now, just because you feel the presence of the Lord is not altogether an indicator that everything is all right. You may not be feeling God's approval. You may be feeling God's mercy. Amen. I got to make sure that I am living right. So here the writer correlates the proper use of the tongue to the in the in the possession of, or he equates that to the possession of wisdom. And a wise person will maintain control of their tongue and know when to speak up and when to shut up. Number seven, the Bible talks about he that soweth discord among the brethren. This is the seventh thing that God hates but he has placed a special or particular, should I say, emphasis. The Bible says the seventh is an abomination unto the Lord. And we've we've taken this now a little bit further. We've taken this one step. This is not just something God hates. This is an abomination, an abomination. The passage is saying that of all the human traits that God hates, the worst thing among them, would be those that would sow discord in the body. What a dangerous thing that is. So what we see here is the fact that sin has now reached its conclusion. Sin has reached its zenith. It's important to note the progression of the sin issue because I'm going to go back quickly and summarize this. He talked about that proud look, our eyes. Amen. He talked about that those evil words, the tongue. Talked about our actions, our hands, the intellect, our mind, and then the actions, 
our feet. And then more lies. He talked about the tongue again. Manifesting the ultimate trait that God finds detestable. Stirring up dissension among the body of Christ. What a terrible, terrible thing this is. By the time a person has cultivated the first six things in their life, by the time this flame has got this high, it has nearly encompassed their entire being. And so now all that's left for them to do is to now to turn to someone else and try to destroy them. Amen. Because they've already destroyed their life. And nobody wants to go out alone. And so now they're going to sow as much discord as they possibly can. Amen. And so the scripture in particular uses some very descriptive language. The first word that I want to talk about is soweth. Soweth. Now to sow something, that takes thought. That takes planning. And that takes action with a resulted end in mind. To sow something. You've got to think about that. You've got to think about it. The sower knows in the beginning what he's hoping to accomplish. If a man is going to plant corn in the ground, he is intending to grow corn. A man that is wanting to plant rye, he's is, is going to have a crop of rye, is going to push a rye seed in the ground. And so there is this thought. I'm, this is not arbitrary. I, I'm, I'm intending to do something. I'm doing this today because this is what I want tomorrow. And then the scripture uses the word discord. It is not, it, it's not that it's wrong to think. It's not that it's wrong to plan or act or even expect a harvest. But the issue is what seed is being planted and what you're saying. Now, I'm just going to take a real chance here because I hate to just talk in broad terms because it doesn't necessarily always apply to everybody. But I'll just run a little risk here and say that maybe some others besides me have people in your life, whether they're family or friends or whatever, that are just so gifted and crafted in the art of saying just enough to plant a seed. Maybe not push it all the way in the dirt, but just say enough. They are trying to lead you in to answering a question or they're trying to lead you into confirming something in their life or confirm something they may have heard. I may be just, it's got real quiet. I may be just talking. I may be the only one here, but I don't think so. There are people in your life that they, that they just say enough. They just, they just talk enough. They just, they just throw it out there just to see what you'll do with it. Amen. Just toss it out to see if you really will bite if you'll take the bait. And, and it's not that they are planning. It's what they are planting. And that's where it gets dangerous. The sower is planting seeds of discord. And that's what's dangerous. Because discord means strife or discontentment or questionings. And so we've got to be careful that we don't sow discord among the brethren. Amen. God desires the church to be united, not divided. The body to be together and not apart. And so we go to Psalms 133. The Bible says, Behold how good. And how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 
Verse 2 starts describing, It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessings, even life forevermore. And so in this passage, God ties unity to several vital things. Amen. That includes good feelings among the brethren. He even included the anointing of God. And he included the blessings of life. And so it means something to have unifiers. Amen. People that know how to bring unity. My wife was showing me a a little video the other day on uh, someone had posted on Facebook, I believe it was. And and there were two little twin girls. And uh, maybe... Maybe some of you have seen this little video. Two little twin girls and a little boy. And one of the girls and one of the boys, or the, one of the girls and the boy are arguing because the little boy, I think, said that, uh, uh, that, that his mother said it was sprinkling. And the little girl said, my mother said it's raining. And so it was sprinkling and raining and sprinkling and raining. If you've ever seen this little video, it is just the most precious thing you could ever see. And... Uh, But here's what my wife pointed out while we were watching that. Because the other little twin girl, I forget what word, she was the peacemaker. She was the unifier among those others. And so these other two, they're they're just kind of batting this back and forth. They're not out of control by any stretch of the imagination. But they're just, they're debating this back and forth. But there was that other little girl, that sister that was standing there. And whatever she kept interjecting in there was a unifier. She was bringing that together. And so my wife was saying, look, listen to her. That's the peacekeeper in the crowd right there. Amen. That is the peacekeeper in the crowd right there. And so what we need in the crowd is that unifier. Amen. That person that can bring it all back together. Amen. To make sure that that seed of discord is pulled up. That fire is put out. Amen. We don't need that. We don't need that. We need to make sure, amen, that we come together. We need that spirit of unity among us. So here we ask our questions. How can we guard ourselves against these things that God hates? I absolutely think that we must begin with prayer. Prayer. Prayer is the revealer for self-inspection. Amen. When I'm talking about prayer here, I'm not talking about prayer for others. I'm talking about prayer for ourselves because in prayer, God can really reveal to us our own shortcomings. Amen. We can really see ourselves in that mirror of reality of how God sees us. Amen. The, the prayer. Prayer is not anything we can escape and then we need the word of God. David said it. It's been quoted thousands, tens of thousands of times. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And after we have prayer and the word of God, then I think somehow we need to become so resilient in our stand that there is no compromise in our life. There is no backing up in us. The Bible says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so I need prayer to reveal to me who I am, maybe who I am not. I need the word of God to be hidden to establish my steps. And when those steps become established, I need to say to myself in this world, there's no backing up in me. I'm just going forward. And then I'm going to live day by day by his grace and his strength. I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. But day by day, I want to hold on to this. I want to dodge these things that God hates. Amen. Our musicians can just stay where you are and let's stand this evening. Amen. I want to avoid these things that God hates. If God's got a problem with it, 
I sure want to have a problem with it. I want to deal with that. I want to take care of that. Amen. This, friend, is what will help us have something to shout about. And so it's not what we're trying to let go of. I want you to, I'm going to say this again tonight. I may even say it again Sunday. I may say it again in some coming up services. We need to get our minds off what we're letting go of and get our focus on what we're trying to embrace. Because you're never going to be able to embrace what God has in store for you as an individual or for us collectively as a church if we don't let go of some of the things that are occupying our time, our abilities, and all of our attention now. I want to yield myself and give myself to God. I certainly want to avoid the things that God hates. Lord, I love you tonight, and I'm asking you to let this word be so ever sealed in our heart that we cannot, simply cannot, escape it. But we want your word to be alive. That seed in us that takes root, that seed that in us, God, that takes root and in time bears fruit in our life. And so I pray that you would touch us from the youngest to the eldest here this evening. We want to yield ourselves to you. We want to yield ourselves wholly and completely to you and your will and to serve you with a single heart, with a single focus. And let our prayer and our praise, let it, re, let it, re, let it just be resilient in this house always. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.